1: Fast Money starts right now live from the Nasdaq market Site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Brian Kelly, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Stocks making a major reversal, but one top strategist says despite the move today, this market rally is still at risk. He will explain why. Plus, check out the semis getting slammed today, down nearly 2%. One top technician says there are two names in the space he's buying right now. He'll reveal those picks. We start off with a stunning market turnaround today. Stocks selling off early in this session following a tweet from President Trump about increasing Chinese tariffs, escalating the stakes in the trade talks with China. But stocks climbed their way back and jumped into the close uh, on reports the Chinese delegation will still travel to the U.S. for trade talks this week. And we just heard we are expecting some sort of update from Tre- uh, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin shortly, so we will keep you updated with the very latest. In the meantime, is today's action proof that this is a buy-the-dip market? Guy.
2: Yes, well, uh, yes, it is proof. I mean, it doesn't mean that I believe it. it doesn't mean it should have happened. You know, if we had had this conversation last night and we had the exact same set of circumstances, I would have said the market's going to open on the lows, continue to trade lower the rest of the day, despite... Any headlines that came out, and here we are—we open on the lows and rally back the rest of the day. So the market seems impervious to all this stuff. But I'll say it again, and I've said it for quite some time. I don't—I think we all believe, at least most people believe, that when a deal is ready to be made. President Trump wants to pull the trigger. There is a deal that will be made. I don't believe that. I don't think the Chinese have any interest in making a deal, nor should they, quite frankly, in the current environment. So I do think this is going to continue to drag out, and at a certain point, it's going to matter for the market.
1: We do know, at the very least, the Chinese delegation is going to come to New York. Uh, excuse me, to Washington this week. Um, the vice premier may not be in, t- in attendance. We don't know that yet. But isn't that a sign that the Chinese are still committed to these talks? And- and making sure that at least progress is not lost. Necessarily. Yeah, look,
3: and Chinese that, that have said very clearly, we're never going neg- to negotiate with a gun to our head. So the sense must be, if they're still coming, at least the markets want to believe this. And this was the really the breakneck rally into kind of the second half of the day after meandering some of the morning. So yeah, if you want to follow those, you know, those dynamics at work, um, I, I kind of agree with guys, uh, you know, kind of eventual dynamic with the market. But I, I my, I would take the other. Sorry, side. Sorry, guys,
1: we got breaking news out of Washington. Let's get to Kayla Tausche for the details, Kayla.
5: I just left a meeting uh, with the U.S. Trade Representative Ambassador Lighthizer and the Treasury Secretary, Melissa, where they confirmed that the increase in tariffs will go into effect uh, Friday at 12.01. So at the end of the day on Thursday, Ambassador Lighthizer saying that he is going to be putting out the paperwork to effect that in the next day or so. They said that over the weekend there was a substantial retreat on behalf of China where they backtracked on commitments that underpinned the entire deal, uh, The Treasury secretary called it a big change in direction uh, in a process that he said had been making substantial progress uh, both cabinet officials said that the president was willing to extend the truce with china and hold off on increasing these tariffs so long as talks continued to make progress and when these two negotiators told the president over the weekend that china had been retreating that there was a significant backsliding on some of these issues that the president was Committed to putting this tariff increase in place uh, at the end of the day Friday. That being said, the Treasury Secretary said there's an opportunity for talks to get back on track. They didn't talk about the likelihood of a deal happening this week, this month, this year. But he said there was an opportunity for talks to get back on track. The Vice Premier of China is expected to come to Washington as part of this delegation. He will be arriving Thursday uh, with those talks happening Thursday evening and Friday. Although you'll note that that timing does intersect with those tariffs already being put in place, those higher tariffs. So certainly, Melissa, it would seem that uh, that genie is not going to get put back into the bottle. That tariffs will be going up Thursday evening, even, even as US, op- U.S. officials, rather, are optimistic uh, that there could still be progress made.
1: Any word, Kayla, on the additional $325 billion in Chinese goods that could be targeted?
5: No comment on the additional imports of chinese goods uh, specifically the administration wants to focus on this increase in tariffs there is a hope uh, at least an unspoken belief that maybe this will be the leverage needed uh, to get china to commit to what it had committed to before uh, that was back- backtracked on over the weekend uh, but we we will see later this week all right kayla
1: thank you kayla tashi with the very latest so again uh, the the tariffs that were ten percent go up to twenty five percent come Friday, and also we understand that the Vice Premier will, in fact, be along with the Chinese delegation in Washington uh, for the next round of trade talks. We saw the SPY ETF trade lower in the uh, after-hours session. Yeah. Okay. So what's your well, take? Well, it, it
6: did initially, but here's the market wants to see progress. Now, and now to Guy's point, at some point in time, it matters. But right now, as long as there's product progress, and the fact that the Chinese are still coming is progress. This is not the best news out there, but if it's part of the negotiating process, then I think we're okay. If you have a sustained uh, tariffs at 25 percent—a sustained trade war that will erode confidence in this, and the market will go down. But as long as there's progress, I think you're okay.
7: Yeah. Well, you know, we all are. Before this 325 number was was kind of uh, bandied about here, you know, we were already asking the question, "What's going to happen to the tariffs that had already been put in place last year?" And they were likely to stay in place. So if we get to this very narrow deadline on Thursday evening at midnight, and there's new tariffs, this is an impact on global growth. It's just that simple. And one of the things that we kept on hearing throughout earnings season, going back to January uh, when it was Q4 and then Q1 guidance that we just got, there's a level of uncertainty about these actual tariffs. So the likelihood that the global economy is going to turn on a dime when we get a deal is not great because these tariffs are not going to come off. And it's also really important to remember that one of the mechanisms that was put in place to kind of help us or help the Chinese comply with these deals was the TPP, and that was ripped up. So all these issues are really important issues. These tariffs are likely to stick around for a while.
3: What's really interesting is is this all comes from the Trump administration, again, when markets essentially are at all-time highs and there's some sense of euphoria. There's some sense of, we've got some room to do this. It's time for some tough love. And this is exactly where we're, this is where we were in January 26th, essentially right after that blow-off top. It was probably February and definitely, you know, first couple days of March where we started to get the real tariff talk, but we already started to get there. If you look at where the S&P was on April 30th, you had a a 78 nine-day RSI, which means Effectively, uh, stocks were way overbought just a few days ago. So if you look at almost every indicator, that's really um, where I think if, if you're a pessimist here about what the administration is going to do right now, they feel like it's more politically expedient to get the points of saying, hey, you know what? We're going to we're going to we're going to negotiate tough. You backed out of your deal. Guess what?
1: This and that. And he's getting the points among his base, but he's also getting the points among Democrats who also back the harder stance that he is taking Chuck on the Schumer. Chinese. So we are here at, at Record highs, as Tim had mentioned, we've got a 3.2% GDP print. We've got inflation that's extremely tame. Why not drag this out? Why not be the tough guy? He's winning points on all sides.
2: Especially if the market's not going to react in a very negative way. The fact that the market came back today and effectively closed unchanged I get it wasn't unchanged, but effectively unchanged. That's got to embolden the president. He's got to look at today's action and say, guess what? Maybe I do have some equity to play with in terms of what I can do with my rhetoric and what the stock market will do. Yeah, but the
6: problem is the longer you drag it out, then it does impact the market, and he's the stock market president. So if let's just say if I'm the Chinese and I see all of a sudden the U.S. stock market falling, that puts more pressure on this president to cut a deal. So there's a small window here for this
1: tactic. At the same time, didn't we stare into the abyss of the potential of a of increased tariffs this morning? I mean, don't we know what the market reaction is? And it yeah. wasn't that bad. I mean, Dow down 470 at the down low. Was it no, that I mean, it, 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 look, uh,
6: the market Off of should, record highs? Yeah, but down 2% in a volatility environment that's been basically zero. That was a big move for this market. So I actually think the market did react appropriately this morning.
3: I, I think it was a, a an appropriate, you know, first response. And, and again, these are tweets from over the weekend that could have been just, you know, up late, or, you know, needing some popcorn, I don't know. But, you know, we've seen this before. And if suddenly Chinese are showing up today, market rallies back, this could have been just that, except for it's not. And and I think this is the dynamic that markets really need to think about, expect the unexpected. And this is a case where, you know, look at global PMIs. There were some, and in Asia last night, there were some awful numbers out last night. The European uh, PMIs this morning were not very good. So there's, there's certainly this, tenuous global economy that I, I agree I think everyone on the desk is saying this is probably not a great time to be doing
7: this. well here's your number I mean just look for in the next couple of days we're likely to have volatility we're not going to get any big announcements we know that this delegation is coming but we also know that you have this deadline um, at midnight on Thursday I think as we get close to that if we break Today's low. I mean, that's the level where you know you want to be a little bit careful because we could have a three to five percent pullback, especially if you think that a good portion of these tariffs are going to stick around it's for twenty-eight
1: the rest ninety-eight of the year. on the S and P five hundred. That was the Yep. Uh, All the stocks made a big reversal today. Our next guest says this rally is still at risk, but that could also be a buying opportunity. Let's bring in Julian Emanuel, chief equity strategist at BTIG. Julian, great to have you with us.
8: Great to be here. It's clear as mud, isn't it? <laughs> Buy the dip. Buy the. I mean. Well, that's been the operating mantra for the last three and a half months. Uh, Certainly the fourth quarter, you didn't want to be buying the dip. Um, In our view, there is an element of risk that's been injected here. You know, basically, and I think it's a very good point, that today's lows are going to be something that everyone is going to focus on for the next, it's certainly till Friday, when we know exactly what the Vice Premier's, you know, how his dinner was Thursday night, and whether those tariffs are going to for sure be on, or perhaps something different. Um, the, The VIX at 12, as it was on Friday, in an environment with geopolitical risk like this, with questions about global growth, um, it just doesn't make sense to us. So, in our view, uh, you know, there is the potential for a near-term pullback.
1: So, on that pullback, Julie, I'm just wondering because some people are saying that even if there is a deal that is to be announced at some point in time, that that would actually be a sell-the-news sort of event so if the deal falls apart into sell the news event and the deal gets done and to sell the news event at record highs should we be long this market
8: uh... if you're a long-term investor you want to basically not look at the screen and sit and stand pat because the one thing we do know is that volatility both upside and downside and you know if we go back to the last you know six months ago we've seen plenty of volatility downside and upside there's going to be more volatility But ultimately, what we actually think, uh, if you're President Trump and you want the Fed to cut rates, you're going to put more tariffs on. That's going to dampen global growth. That's going to increase the probability that the Fed may be forced to become incrementally more dovish.
6: So, Julian, I wanted to pick up on that point because in your notes you were saying we might get two rate hikes, rate cuts, Out of the Fed. Is that two this year, do you think? And the market's not pricing that at all. So what happens to the equity markets
8: with two rate cuts? Well, again, it depends on the path that we go to to get there. The Fed has made no secret about the fact that it's concerned about low inflation. And moreover, when we get the eventual downturn, and part of what concerned us over the weekend was seeing talk of, oh, the, you know, this slow growth environment has has made the probability of recession non-existent in, in, in the near future. And that's the kind of dangerous, it's different this time talk that we don't buy whatsoever. Uh, but the point is, is that what you want to do is create a bit more inflation because it's going to slow down as the economy slows down. And in fact, we've already seen that over the last year when you think about the global picture in general. So from our point of view, either the GDP slows down a bit, we're already looking like it's a one number in the second quarter, and I'll tell you what, it's not going to be a two number if these tariffs go in on on Friday, for sure. Um, You know, you combine that with the concern about inflation, and we think the Fed makes, there's a very interesting case for the Fed to go twice, and if you go twice this year, you're out of the way if there really is a downturn coming into an election cycle. But,
3: but Julian, so if, if we get to Fed hikes, sorry, cuts, we, we have a dynamic here where oil and copper both rallied today. That makes sense to me on some level. Um, but how do you explain the dollar, which has been you know, arguably trying to break out? And, and, and that would be, to me, more about central bank um, divergence once again. Um, actually, and if you look at a two-year chart on the dollar, it's not a chart I would want to
8: short. Uh, Look, we agree. Um, In in general, though, if you look at, yes, the dollar has been trying to break out. It's a very muted breakout within a pretty tight range. You know, and what we would say that would be preventing the dollar from getting much, much stronger is the fact that we're going to have to finance a trillion dollar deficit uh, over the next 12 months and that looking forward to the elections, there are going to be pro-spending policies all over the place. And on balance, that's a negative. Julian, it's interesting you think two
2: rate cuts. I mean, obviously, the president, if he's watching, and I know he is a fan of the show, so he's probably applauding you right now. But my pushback would be, wouldn't wouldn't these be transitory events, U.S.-China trade talks, and to Janet Yellen's comments she made over the last few years, I mean, this would be transitory.
8: This is something they should look past, no? it it really depends because i think one of the things that surprised all of us is if you look at it the numbers have picked up in china over the last several months stimulus is working which is also by the way a reason that china may decide to get tough and just say okay let's see what happens but the problem is is we all thought there was going to be lots of flow through to europe and we haven't really seen that and that's a concern for us.
1: Last quick question. 3000 is your target? Yes. So do we need the two uh, cuts in order to get to 3000
8: Uh n- Not necessarily, but we need either that or China to work out or, heaven forbid, Brexit to work out.
1: Okay. <laughs> Julian, thank you. Thank you. Julian Emanuel of BTIG. I think it's important
7: to remember, you know, in the throes of that sell-off in Q4, we also had an unforced error by this administration who got a little temperamental and walked away from a deal and the government got shut down. That was something that, again, so into this trade war, we had what was supposed to be this tailwind from these tax cuts the prior year, unforced error, walk away. We've seen this time and time again. We saw it in North Korea, just walked out of a meeting in Singapore. These are not the sorts of things that get ironed out very quickly. I would fully expect a deal not to happen this week. And this is going to be part of the rhetoric. So with the S&P up 17% on the year, the best case scenario, if you are a bull and you want to get to his target, which is above the prior highs, is that we come back in maybe towards 2800 You chop around a little bit and then you get a scenario for a breakout to new highs into an election year, which we know are usually pretty strong. Look, for you know, G- Julian talked about long-term investors and how they should approach this. I, I totally
3: agree with that. Um, if you're not that... Um, you know, follow the playbook that makes a lot of sense to me, which is semis are going lower. Um, Apple's probably going lower. Anybody who seems like they're dependent upon a China trade right now, Alibaba, look at the, the, the disparate underperformance of Alibaba, even though I would argue they're not a global trade company. Those are the trades in the next couple of weeks to me
6: that probably you could continue to lean on.
1: Do you throw industrials in there?
6: uh in in terms of selling yeah but i we started this whole segment with is this a do you still buy the dips and i think for the longer the medium to longer term investor yes you do because to julian's point what happens if we get a weak stock market what happens if we get a weak global economy we get a federal reserve that's going to be much much easier and that's going to force money into stocks so let's talk about 6 12 months time frame going into the election year that's going to be the bullish part in the meantime i totally agree with dan I, you know there's a non trivial chance that we sometime this- week find that the u.s. has pulled out of these talks or china's not getting on the plane or something like that and i do think that could cause a pretty significant
2: downturn in the short term in the market
1: more than what we've seen below today's low
2: should have been today i mean it really should have yeah. happened today i was surprised i mean i i would push back and bk i thought the market should have been a significantly lower given to your point the run we've had over the last two and a half three months but i think going back to what tim said about the semis I agree. I think a name like Texas Instruments at 116 is giving you a huge opportunity to get out of the stock you've been long and even go short if you want to, because this stock to me is too expensive.
1: Speaking of semis, coming up despite this market pullback, is still sinking today. Top technician says this could be your chance, your best chance to buy the group. We've got the details. Plus, the Boeing fallout continues to stock under pressure as more details drip out about what the company knew and when. We've got a special report. And later, Lyft gearing up for earnings after what has been a rocky road for the ride-sharing company since its IPO. We'll tell you why traders are betting on more roadblocks ahead. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. checkout out shares of Boeing under pressure today after a new report suggests the company may have been keeping airlines in the dark about a key safety issue with the 737 Max. Phil LeBeau joins us from Chicago with more on this developing story. Phil.
9: And Melissa, it seems like uh, it's a story every couple of days about something that Boeing may have known or did know and then didn't tell either regulators or airlines. This one has to do with angle of attack indicators and a disagree alert that was inoperable in some uh, 737 MAXs. Not all planes had an indicator alert, and Boeing did not disclose this to the FAA that this was inoperable, was not working due to a software problem until after the Lion Air crash, and then after the They told the FAA, they also told some airlines like Southwest late last year, but they didn't tell other airlines like United until a couple of months later. The FAA says this issue in terms of notifying airlines, while it may not have played a role in the crashes for Lion Air as well as Ethiopian Airlines, the FAA out with a statement saying Boeing's timely or earlier communication with operators would have helped to reduce or eliminate possible confusion. We should point out that as you... Look at this issue and this question of what Boeing knew and when they knew it. The company was out with a statement saying the senior management of Boeing was unaware of the inoperable alerts and this issue until it was first notified after the Lion Air crash. There were other people within Boeing who knew about it but they were not telling senior management at the time. Also, as you take a look at shares of Boeing, keep in mind that a Boeing director, the first time we've heard from a Boeing director, David Calhoun, out with an interview over the weekend in the Washington Post, essentially defending how they had decided how to handle the 737 MAX crisis when the second crash happened with Ethiopian Airlines. Said they made the right call at the time saying it shouldn't be grounded, but obviously that changed a few days later. So guys, this is a stock that remains under pressure down in that 365 to 375 range when it comes to these issues with the 737 MAX continuing to drip out in what seems like every three or four days another story.
1: Phil, as I understand the report, as I understood the report, the inoperable alerts, Boeing had determined internally that it would not affect the safety of the airplane, correct? So, in the end, would that have made it, if those alerts were operable, would that have made a difference? Is it viewed as, you know, a deciding factor in terms of why the two aircraft went down?
9: No, it it does not appear that that is part of That wouldn't have prevented those crashes from happening, and there's no indication that it led to those crashes happening. The issue here, Melissa, is you've got something that's not working on an aircraft. Right. Why weren't the FAA as well as airlines notified sooner? Why was it kept in, uh, undisclosed for months? Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau from Chicago with the latest on Boeing. And this gets to culture, right, within the company. And is the culture in the company for profits? for keeping things quiet for you know what i mean i mean it seems like uh, as as
6: phil says seems like every day we have another story about oh they didn't tell one airline this or they didn't tell anybody this so in terms of you know do you invest in Bo- in Boeing stock do you trade Boeing stock i think you stay away from it until this is resolved i know they have a long backlog but there's clearly something going on with the culture at the company that we don't have a handle on yet so i for me it's a no touch i just don't think anything's really changed in
3: terms of the culture of the company in a long time and and i and by the way in a good way, well, despite the tragedies here, I don't know that that's a bad thing. Again, this is a defense company. It's a company that also is is not going to go out there and stir up, uh, I think, unnecessary dynamics if they don't have to, as it relates to safety issues on a plane. Um, and I think there's probably some responsibility to also not do that. So I don't think this is a great time to go in and buy Boeing. That you have to, but it, but if I look at the long-term impact on what this means in the short term, in terms of what they told you three weeks ago, in terms of or two weeks ago, um, I think in the short run there's a headwind. In the long run, it doesn't change anything. That's it,
7: like the weakest take ever. Like not much has changed, and like this. And that. If this was a consumer, not much has changed. If this was a consumer products you know this was a consumer company. Products if this was a consumer products, I, I mean, this stock would be so much lower than where it is. I mean, you may be right because it's the defense company. The irony of
3: that, Dan, because this is a company where safety issues you would think would be more important than a consumer products company, no? I mean, we would, I mean listen, if you can't Everyone, has a, everyone has a
7: vested interest in the planes not going down, let's be frank, okay? There's nobody. But it's but to Mel's original question about quality assurance and that sort of thing, I mean, there's been lots of stories, and I know the New York Times has been doing a lot of stuff on this. Leaving that the
1: debris behind an aircraft. I, I mean,
7: there, there could be some huge, huge but, but issues. But there the should question, be some the management changes here. There's some big stuff that's going to happen here. I get that. But the question was,
3: has something changed in the culture of the company? And I'm telling you, nothing's changed in the culture of the company. This is exactly what's been going on for a long time at Boeing. I don't think they've changed anything.
1: And I guess my question is, is the culture finally being revealed to not be one that will turn out or, or hold right. quality I think that's- above profits, quality above expediency? Things like that, when it makes that, well, quality,
3: safety. What are we talking about? Is is is, is well,
1: it- both. quality and quality
3: safety? Quality and
6: safety. I mean, it seems like every they come out and both. they say, I don't know anything about aviation, but I know if an alarm isn't going off and there's a software glitch and the company knows about it and they don't tell you, that seems bad to me. Why? Why wouldn't you just tell people about it? So I do think there's something underneath that we don't know. In my view, there will be a time to buy it when everything looks horrible and this all comes out and
1: there's a management change we both like disagree, that. You disagree, but agree on how to trade this. You Yes, I think that's probably right.
2: Yeah, I'm not an apologist for Boeing, but I mean, I think the headlines that we're talking about read much worse than the actual story. If you look, I mean, they didn't think... They didn't think it was right. a safety concern. I don't work for Boeing. You know, it seems reasonable. Another week right. take. What are you <laughs> talking like about? They didn't change their culture. This, this I company agree. is facing uh, the combination
7: of billions of dollars in fines and lawsuits. This is going to go on for Let's years wait. and He's, years. I mean, first you're of all. You're going to see their CEO this, in front of Congress company, sometime soon, probably in This is in not the first time oh, this not. has happened to Boat. Okay. Well, there you go. Well, there you go. Right, you're right.
1: For more on Boeing 737 max fallout, head on over to CNBC.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money at CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on
5: Fast.
6: Well, Lyft has been anything but grease lightning since going public. And shares are stuck in reverse. But could its earnings report tomorrow kick it into high gear? We've got those details. There's much more Fast Money
10: after this.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. The market bouncing back from U.S.-China trade fears, but chip stocks getting left behind and down almost 2 percent to end the day. Bob Pisani is at the NYSE to break it all down. Hi, Bob.
11: Hello, Melissa. It could have been a lot worse. So semiconductors were indeed down, but the low print of the day was the open for virtually all the semiconductors, including Intel, Texas Instruments, Qualcomm, NVIDIA, Micron. Most were down about 4% in the first few minutes of trading and closed with losses only about half of that. So here's the bigger question. Why is the semiconductor ETF up more than 30% this year? many chip companies get more than sixty percent of their revenues from china the smh which is a basket of the top twenty-five semiconductors in etf it's been rallying even as commentary about the china business has been very cautious here so the bulls have been saying well semiconductors and stocks in general they've been rallying because Earnings have been not as bad as feared. All right, that's true, but the semiconductor commentary does not reflect the consensus that weakness in China has bottomed. Just take a look at this. Texas Instruments, for example, said weakness in sales will likely continue in China. Intel noted an acute deceleration, that's their word, in demand for chips in China. Lamb Research makes the machines that makes the chips said that a spending correction from its clients continues. And even Qualcomm said its weaker revenue guidance reflects weakness in China. That's ongoing. Only Taiwan Semi sounded bullish to me recently, saying we believe we may have passed the bottom of the cycle of our business. So here's the bottom line, Melissa. Traders have come to believe that after a more than 25% drop in semiconductors from October to December of last year, that the worst is behind us all. But a lot has to go right for that to be true, including a bottoming in the Chinese economy and, separately but related, the conclusion of a
7: trade deal. Back to you, Melissa.
1: All right, Bob, thank you. Bob Pisani at the NYSE. Dan Nathan.
7: Oof. Um that was a lot. Bob nailed it as far as guidance was concerned when you think about it. So the question is, why is the SMH the you know, which is made up 35% is Intel, Taiwan Semi, and Qualcomm. Why is it up 35% of the year? Well it got nailed. Uh, you know, and it really underperformed last year. It got nailed at the end of the year. I'll just make one point. We talked about this last week. A lot of people have been pointing to Apple and what they had to say about China and how much that changed versus their pre-announcement in January. And I'll just tell you one thing. You and I were talking about it. I think you brought it up on the show last week. They got the benefit from uh uh, the Chinese government getting rid of the vat. They discounted their phones dramatically. It seemed like just kind of a reset of just a massive drop-off at the end of last year. So to me, I wouldn't be taking the Apple data point over what Intel and Texan told you directly.
2: I think Qualcomm's its own animal. I don't think this quarter is indicative of what they're going to be a year, a year and a half from now with this 5G thing. Although, who knows when it's coming? I'm ready for it. I just yeah. want you to know 5G. now. But we I will know tell what that you, is. I do know the 5G rollout is going to be yeah. tremendous. It's not just one more than four. It's like an exponential thing. I don't want to get too granular here, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> don't worry, that said, won't. Texas Instruments <laughs> at 21 times next year's number, when they told you things are slowing down, off a double top from January of 2018, in my opinion, is a sale.
1: Sorry, it's sounding all charty there. Very charty. I Our like next guest as of history is any indication, this could be the perfect time to dip into chip stocks. Oppenheimer's Airy Walds over at the Plasma with the details. He's an actual chartist. Ari. Oh, an actual <laughs> chartist.
12: Hi, Melissa. Yeah, uh, put us in the bullish camp here. That We are of the view that this uh, pullback in semis, uh, even if it were to continue, is viable. That, uh, that the worst is behind and that we are in the early stages of a new upcycle. That's what the charts argue for. Here's what I'm talking about. Uh, Now, looking at the semiconductor ETF, SOXX, the cycle I'm talking about is a 20% decline followed by a new high above year-long resistance, where you're moving above a prior peak from at least a year ago. Now, we've had this uh, a few times. We had it in 2011. The new high came in 2013. This was followed by uh, almost a two-year rally into the 2015 peak. Another reset in 2015, 23% decline. Breakout in mid-2016, terrific rally into 2018. Now, there's no way to know if the trajectory is going to be the same, but here's a very simple rule. Assume it will be the same as long as you're above the breakout level. As long as you've, we've cleared the resistance from 2018, it's about $200 on SOXX. Assume this is a new upcycle. Two names we like here. First one is Broadcom, ticker AVGO. This has been the steady leadership name. This is a stock that bottomed the head of the market. It made a lower high. This was December right here when everything else was in absolute free fall. And it really broke out to the upside ahead of the market as well. That breakout point 285 now support. This is leadership. This is momentum. This is the type of stock that historically has outperformed the benchmark stock you want to own. Uh, next on our list, LAM Research, LRCX. Hasn't broken out yet. Still is a pre-breakout idea. Still below resistance from 2018. But it has cleared an important level that I think you want to keep a, uh, an eye on. 198. This was the breakdown level. Going back to last summer, we, there was a break in trend. We fell below the 200-day moving average at 198. Now we're back above it. I think that's meaningful. I think at the least, the trading action should be considered positive while we're above it. We have an uptick in the 200-day moving average, some higher lows there. We have a bearish-to-bullish reversal here. Semis, it's broadly based, too. It's, it's not just these names. It's really across the board. Something's going on in semis. You want to participate. This is a new upcycle, is our take.
1: So there is an argument, Ari, that semis are an indicator of the market direction, that somehow it's a leading indicator. So if you think it's an on an upswing, does that necessarily mean the markets are looking okay, too?
12: That's our take on the market as well, that participation is, is broadening globally. We're, we're seeing better uh, improvement in global equity markets. And, and it's been the right areas as well, semiconductors, industrials turning up, I think after that small bear market in the fourth quarter of 2018, uh, markets breaking out to the upside. This is a new bull cycle uh, based on our work.
1: Mm. Ari, thank you. Ari Wald of Oppenheimer new bull cycle. Brian Kelly. Well,
12: it's interesting. To me,
6: the semis are ground zero for everything we're talking about. Bob pointed out about how there's been a deceleration in earnings and all that, yet the stocks are going higher. So market participants are anticipating this turn here. If you take the semiconductors, overlay them on PMIs, you get a pretty good uh, leading indicator in the semis. So watch this sector as long as, as already said, they don't break these breakout levels. In SMH, I think it's like uh, about 112.5. That's your support level. As long as you you are there and the market continues higher i think semis are buy. well if, if you look at uh, intel and, and essentially they absolutely reset
3: expectations and so the stock's down almost 15 percent when it's 13 percent of the smh or the socks or whatever you're looking for uh, that actually gives you a fair amount of i think defensive quality to this thing here uh, i think intel is the stock to own and on this weakness i would stay long intel not the semis
1: Still ahead, Lyft skidding into its earnings report tomorrow, down more than 15% from its IPO price, and traders are betting on an even bigger move. We've got the details. Plus, Tesla, 3M, and Zillow are just some of the big hedge fund calls out of the Sone conference today. We'll bring the very latest from the ground when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Lyft reports earnings for the very first time tomorrow, and the options market says the stock could be gearing up for a big move. Dan is over at the Plasma to tell us why. Dan.
7: Yeah, so obviously this is the first one out of the gate. You know, the deal was priced, the IPO at 72 bucks. The stock traded up uh, pretty nicely, but since then it's traded down. It's kind of found a home around $60 here over the last couple of weeks. We know that the Uber um, IPO roadshow is going on right now. This is going to be a really big week for ride-sharing uh, newly listed companies uh, here in the U.S. But the implied move in the options market for list earnings are about 10% in either direction. Today, when the stock was about sixty and a half, if you took the at the money weekly straddle, that's the call premium and the put premium at the 60.5 weekly strike that equated to $6. If that is basically the implied move, if you wanted to bet that the stock was going to move greater than the implied move, you could buy that straddle. You would need to move um, above 66.5 or below uh, 54.5 to the other side. So that's the 10% move in either direction here. Um, I just want to go and kind of look back at some other high profile companies, IPOs, The first quarter that they reported, there were some big moves there after their IPO. Twitter was down 24% after theirs. Snapchat was down 21% after theirs. Facebook was down 11%. And Spotify last year was down about 6%. This is a big opportunity for these companies right out of the gate, soon after they just did their IPO roadshow, to tell investors how they're doing as publicly traded companies. Um, Let's go to this. We know that Lyft just got initiated in the last few weeks by a lot of the underwriters and other banks who weren't on the deal. And overwhelmingly, it was pretty positive. 15 buys, 8 holds, and 2 sells. Average 12-month price target, seventy-three sixty-eight. That's above the IPO price. So obviously, a bit favoring towards a move back to higher levels near the IPO. And then lastly, let's just kind of look at this chart here. We know that we had this gap opening after the 72. Um, you know, the stock kind of meandered a bit. And then it took this leg down. I think a lot of that was comparison to Uber. But we've really seen this consolidation here with 44 percent short interest. I suspect good news in this name could cause a little bit of a short squeeze. Um, But again, really tough name to play with options directionally, with implied volatility, the price of options as high as it is right now.
1: All right. Thanks for that, Dan. Who has a a feel for for lift and where it is right now?
7: Well, I, I, here's what I would volunteer, because
3: I think it's a big challenge when you consider that we really don't know what valuations are. We've assessed what the sector's going to do in terms of the disruption. A lot's been priced in. You know, Dan pointed out the down move and those other big-name stocks that were highly anticipated. This is down 20% into those numbers. So it's a case of where, um, do you actually think that, you know, there's, there may be even a chance for these guys um, to give you a little bit of, uh, bit of an upside surprise? But the bottom line is expecting companies who are fresh out of the gates to be flawless on their earnings call is, is, I think, a tall order, uh, even though I think there's a lot of bad news in this stock.
1: The earnings call is interesting because, remember, we had a disastrous earnings call from Snap. The
2: f- their first,
12: the
1: first earnings
2: call one. was disaster was in a number of different good. ways, not least of which was the tone, I think, right. they took. And I think they would learned from that, and it's gotten better since. You know, Dan Niles came out pre-IP, right, $59. I mean, and he's spot on in terms of that, and I think we'd be having a much different conversation if this was priced... At $62 instead of 72 With that said, I mean, worst performing IPO since Facebook and the billion nor- worked out pretty well for Facebook. So I'm sort of more in the bull camp for Lyft than the bear camp.
1: Yeah. This is going to be an interesting setup for Uber's IPO.
6: Yeah, I think it's got I mean, so I was wrong on this. I thought there'd be a window where you could buy Lyft before Uber Rojo went, before the earnings. Now I think you need to stay away. I don't think you have to buy Lyft uh, at these levels or before the earnings. You can wait and see. I just think there's too much risk. There's too much risk that money comes from Uber. There's too much risk that they make a mistake on the call. So. I stay white. All right.
1: For more options action, check out the full show, Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, check out the soaring stock that's been turning heads all year, up more than 80%. Can you guess what it is? Plus, hedge fund manager Larry Robbins shorting 3M as one of his big calls at the Sone conference earlier today. Find out what has him so bearish when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Some of the brightest minds in finance are sharing their best investment ideas today at the Iris Conference, all for a great cause, the fight to treat childhood cancer. Our Leslie Pickers live from Lincoln Center in New York City with the biggest market
4: movers from today. Hey, Leslie. Hey. Jeff Gunlock just finishing his presentation. It was the last one to complete a very well-rounded day. Uh, Gunlock uh, giving a very wide-ranging presentation at first, uh, discussing each of the major Democratic candidates for 2020, um, largely in critical terms. Um, Also moving on to talk about his fears surrounding the budget deficit in the U.S. and what it could mean for interest rates, giving a big discussion about uh, Jay Powell's recent pivot and how he believes that is impacting interest. Rates. He did put up his recommendation, which he said, by interest rate volatility on long-maturity U.S. Treasuries via a put-call straddle on TLT. He did not explain exactly what was driving that thesis, other than just to say um, that he was concerned about the deficit and the overall uh, moves in the economy. Uh, healthcare was also a big theme today. Larry Robbins touted longs and HMOs and hospitals, um, specifically Cigna, Humana, United Health, HCA, Tenant Healthcare here and Universal Health Services. He also recommended investors short an in index of pharma companies, saying his own portfolio had three longs and 16 short positions in the industry. Robbins also caused the stock price of 3M and Chemours to decline when he spoke about their litigation risk that could skyrocket, according to Robbins, related to their exposure to a chemical called PFAS. That's known to poison the drinking water, and it's part of uh, the chemical compounds that they use in their industrial products. Products. Daniel Sundheim slamming Canadian cannabis. He said recently uh, he started his own firm, D1 Capital Partners, after leaving Viking a few years ago. He was CIO at Viking, and he said that the Canadian cannabis industry is about as close to a bust as Bitcoin was, noting that the sector, the can- Canadian cannabis sector, has enormous downside. He also said he thinks Netflix is overpriced, but on Tesla, he said he finds Elon Musk a hard guy to bet against now that stands in contrast with David Einhorn who spoke earlier today, he's been famously short Tesla for a while, he opened his presentation with a series of Musk quotes ending with an expletive to describe some of Musk's recent comments about the company's business model. Melissa.
1: Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker and it's a family show so (laughs) yes expletive is is right but it was horse something. You can fill in the blanks. Uh, Canadian cannabis
3: well, it's, it's not easy to, to poke at valuations in Canada and wonder what's going on here. And if you look at a Tilray uh, as a poster child for not only where it's come from, but still trading at an absurd valuation, uh, you can't say the same for Canopy, which, which is a global cannabis company and has used those early kind of uh, Canadian resources to get a, a global view. So um, I think it, it's it's a growth sector, and there's absolutely some stuff that is priced to perfection, and that does make sense.
2: Where would you UNH. Go? I'd go right to UNH. UNH is too cheap. I think people are starting to figure that out. I think the rhetoric's going to go away. I know the election is in November 2020. I get it. And there's a lot of time from now till then, but I think you're going to start. It's going to wane. I think all this rhetoric's going to wane. I think you're going to wake up one day and say, "My goodness, I should have bought UNH." And just quickly, yes. If you're quoting from a a somebody's demonstration or somebody's presentation, yes. you're not allowed to then use that. Um, no, you're not. They're in my. Ear. I'm just. I wasn't going to say it. Well, it's a curse word. It is a curse Cuss word. But he yeah. used it in the context of a presentation. There might be I'm just wondering.
1: Watching, and we don't want to offend anybody, guys. i mean, offend. this is a non-offensive show, right? Well, we don't my offend daughters anybody. Are one. Never
3: offended anybody.
1: <laughs> Coming up, it is a rally you just can't make up. The surging stock was up six percent today, more than eighty percent this year. We'll give you the name when fast money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. It is our mystery chart of the day. This stock is not only having its best year ever, it's also the top performing stock in the S&P so far in 2019. Hmm. What could it be? Well, Cody. Come on. It is up 6% today at a whopping 85% this year, part of a glamorous rally for beauty stocks across the board. Will Cody's beauteous year keep on? I'll go to Tim Seymour. I don't know why.
3: I like a nice skin and body care uh, idea here, and I mm. think if you. Th- Think about what's gone on in wellness and fragrances and, and the L'Oreal's, Estee Lauder's. This has been a two to three year trade. Uh, the margins in these companies are extraordinary. So um, you get to a place here with Cody. This is now almost a $10 billion company. Uh, and I do think that the sector remains very light. I mean, the margins um, that these guys are inking right now is something that I think is extraordinary. You know, this is a massive move. I, I don't think you know, let's follow this company a little bit longer to see uh,
6: really how this thing settles in. But I like the space still. I own L'Oreal. So the one thing about this is it has exposure to Europe, which actually concerns me a bit. But these companies, as they grow, they kind of get this um, reflexive quality to them that the growth begets growth begets growth. Investors pile into these things. So I don't think you have to necessarily, necessarily sell it here, but be aware that roughly 30 40% of the revenue comes from Europe.
2: Huge short interest in the name. It's mm. obviously had a huge bounce, yeah. but this stock has been grim death now for the last three years. It was a $30 stock in the summer of 2017. I think, though, you can own the stock in the earnings on May 8th based on the short interest, based on the fact that in this environment people will cover. I think you stay long in the stock in the earnings, you pull the ripcord right ahead.
1: Up next, final trades. Welcome back to Fast Money. Quick programming note. We mentioned that Double Lines' Jeffrey Gunlock, is speaking right now. We're just wrapped up at the Sone conference. He will be on the Halftime Report at noon tomorrow, so you won't want to miss that. Time now for the final trends. Go around the horn. Tim. Yeah, you
3: know, we talked about semis. We talked about Intel. I actually think they set up for a decent second half of the year in data center. Uh, they've got the 10 nanometer CPU coming out. It's also geared for second half. I think there's catalyst there. I think the valuation is excellent.
6: BK. Uh, so if you're worried about global growth, you want to stick closer to home. You know what was really strong today, despite the downturn? KRE, the regional banks. I'd look at that one. Dan,
1: mm. yeah, Nathan.
7: Yeah, Boeing curiously has held this 360 level. That was the gap level from earnings in January. I think it's going to break here. I think you sell Boeing on rallies.
2: Dan was being mean to me in the break. He said I got hair coming out of my ears, which is Do not. Like I'm, no, I don't. I'm getting a haircut. I mean, but that I see, I have feelings too. No one else has feelings. HCA too cheap. Good report on April 30th. Buy that stock.
1: That does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Kramer starts right now. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.